Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call, did write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of a graven image to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the appeal to anonymous authority, also known as appeal to rumour. I say we, but I'm going to have to leave you in the capable hands of Jim flying solo with the help from one or two others in a have I got news for you kind of way. The work I'm currently doing means there'd be a conflict of policies in doing this, especially at the moment. But I'll be back to joining the fun again very, very soon when this period is over. Meanwhile, then, I'll hand you back over to Jim to explain the appeal to anonymous authority. Yes, as Mark there said, he will be back very, very soon. We're hesitating to say exactly when in case plans change at the moment. But we promise if you've been missing Mark as much as I have, then you won't have to wait much longer. Meanwhile. The appeal to anonymous authority. Now, this is a really common one that Trump does a lot. And to be honest, I'm surprised it's taken us this long to get around to it. But uh, we talked about the appeal to authority or the argument from authority in episode 16. And that's more commonly or, or more usefully sometimes called the appeal to irrelevant authority because it's about appealing to a source or an authority that isn't necessarily... Uh, worth appealing to it doesn't really help your case because they're not actually an authority in what you're talking about or for other reasons go back and listen to that if you like it's a great episode to find out more about that so the appeal to anonymous authority is where the authority you're appealing to is unnamed or vague or somehow uncheckable so in in ways where you're just kind of saying yeah this is something which people say or you know, scientists say or or something like that. And you're not actually able to back that up by coming forward with who that authority is or what their reason for being an authority on this subject is. So our first example from Trump comes from his debate with Biden in which he said this. They say the stock market will boom if I'm elected. If he's elected, the stock market will crash. Okay, let's move on to the next question. So it can be a little bit difficult to hear what he's saying because... I mean, that debate was just full of Trump basically talking over everyone else. And so, yeah, the moderator there was also trying to talk. But he said the biggest analysts say that if Biden is elected, the stock market will will crash. If I'm elected, the stock market will soar. Um, And of course, he couldn't back that up. He didn't back it up when when kind of requested by journalists later. And that's not what anyone was saying at the time. So suggesting the biggest analysts without kind of citing any real source or, or it's just something he can, he can get away with claiming a thing and suggesting that there is evidence if he could be bothered to present it when actually there really isn't any evidence. 
Another example of this is the tweet that he sent on August 6th, 2012, when he was in the throes of the Bertha conspiracy, and he said, An extremely credible source has called my office and told me that Barack Obama's birth certificate is a fraud. So, extremely credible source in was in quotes there, because Trump doesn't know how to use quotes, so he thinks it somehow emphasises something instead of suggesting that the idea that it's an extremely credible source is actually questionable. So, ironically, he was using them right, but not how he thought he was using them. So, yeah, of course, there never turned out to be any extremely credible source, and there was never any evidence presented that Obama's birth certificate was a fraud. Our third example from Trump is when he was interviewed by Axios reporter Jonathan Swan, and he said this. We've done 55, it'll be close to 60 million tests. And, you know, there are those that say, you can test too much. You do know that. Who says that? Oh, just read the manuals, read the books. Manuals? Read the books. Read the books. What books? So Swan is doing exactly the right thing when Trump says, there are those who say you can do too much testing. He says, well, who says that? If you question that, if you require the person who is presenting this argument to actually tell you who their anonymous authority is, then they either have to do what Trump did, which is try and ignore your asking a question and just kind of bluster it, uh, which, which just kind of provides more evidence, really, that they don't have an authority, or they actually have to present something. And if they have the evidence... Um, again, as as in many cases, this is very context-based. If they do have the evidence, if they do have an authority, then it's this isn't a fallacy. If If people say, scientists say or studies show this thing, and you say, okay, which scientists say that and what study shows that, and they can actually present it, the fact they didn't announce the name of the study or the scientist at first is not fallacious then. Because they could back that up. They, they ended up being able to have that the argument. It's where this is being used where actually you don't have an authority or actually you, you don't have the information that you need to make this a useful uh, piece of evidence to back up your claim. Our final example in this section comes from a, a clip that is kind of... It's Trump adjacent. It's not Trump himself. This is actually much more recent. And this was when... Uh, CBS reporter Weijia Zhang asked Press Secretary Jen Psaki about uh, Biden's immigration policies. A lot of Americans are saying that, you know, the surges are happening under President Biden's watch after he reversed some previous policies. So does the administration take any accountability for what's happening? Who are the Americans? Well, I know you don't want to answer to him, but the former president just um, released a statement saying that Uh, The Biden administration must act immediately to end the border nightmare that they have unleashed on our nation. Former President Trump? Yes. We don't take our advice or counsel from former President Trump on immigration policy, which was not only uh, inhumane but ineffective over the last four years. We're going to chart our own path forward, and that includes treating children with humanity and respect. What a fucking great job from Jen Psaki answering that question, which was presented as a lot of Americans are um, saying that there's something wrong with the immigration, essentially, that there's been a surge in immigration. And when asked 
who a lot of Americans are, who the the Americans that she's talking about specifically are, it turns out it's Trump. Um, so this, she did have, it wasn't a an, an fully anonymous authority. It started out as an anonymous authority, but that was specifically masking a, an irrelevant authority. And Weijia Yang was using, she knew what she was doing. She didn't say, Trump says this, because she would have got the response that she got from, from Saki. And so... Instead, she pretended that it was a lot of Americans or, or, you know, it's like many people say, uh, which, yeah, she got called out immediately because Jen Psaki did her job well. And and it turned out that it was it was masking a, an irrelevant authority because, of course, we can't trust <laughs> what Trump is going to say about the effects of Biden's immigration policy because uh, he is just inevitably going to constantly be saying negative things about Biden, whatever he does. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British Politics Corner. So the example I've got in Mark's British Politics Corner this week is from a tweet from Ian Duncan Smith, MP, Conservative MP for Chingford and Woodford Green, where he was talking about the potential that Britain might have to pay money to the EU after Brexit. And he said, you can't be half in the EU and half out. The problem is the withdrawal agreement. It costs too much and it denies us true national independence. This withdrawal agreement, um, giving the EU future control over us, has to go. Now Britain faces a £160 billion EU loans bill after Brexit. Now, you may not have noticed an anonymous authority in that tweet. And that's fair. There wasn't one directly in the tweet. But Ian Duncan Smith linked to an article in The Sun. And that article is where he got that £160 billion figure from. It's it's kind of right up front and centre in the, in the headline of the article that he's linked. And in The Sun, they explain... The European Investment Bank and the European Financial Stability Mechanism have paid out hundreds of billions to investment projects across its 27 members, some of them economically fragile. Britain's share of liability is around 12%. Experts reckon this could translate into £160 billion of unpaid loans, four times Britain's £39 billion divorce deal. So The Sun is saying that there's this money that all of the EU states have invested, essentially, or agreed to invest in various projects across the 27 countries of the EU, and we have made that commitment. So, essentially, we are on the hook for £160 billion, according to experts. <laughs> the Sun doesn't specify who these people are, they just say, experts reckon this. We don't know what those people are experts in. We don't know who they are. We don't know if they actually know anything about this. We don't know if they understand this whole system. It seems reasonably likely that they don't understand it because, as tends to be the case, it's a little bit more complicated than that. As part of the withdrawal agreement that was going uh, in at the time, the UK did agree to be liable for investments that were agreed while it was a member state of the EU. Uh, European investment bank countries pay in 10% of capital to the bank for these investment projects around the EU, with the remaining 90% to be called in if necessary. 
So a certain amount of capital was already paid in with the understanding that if those investment projects need more, then we are on the hook for a certain amount more money. Now, it's not exactly clear where they got the $160 billion. But even if we assume that figure is correct in terms of the amount that we are essentially we have agreed to be liable for, then in order for that $160 billion to be actually called in, to, for, the, for that amount that we're liable for to, to have to go out of the, the UK and into the EU, every single one of the thousands of AAA-rated European Investment Bank investments would need to basically fail completely at the same time so badly that there was no hope for turning them around, restructuring or even stripping their assets. So basically every single one of those investments projects would have to go bankrupt completely in a way that, that makes them totally worthless all at once. <laughs> so there's, there's literally no way that that's possibly going to happen. Not only that, but the European Investment Bank has its own assets. It has 600 billion euros, which is more than twice the, the total subscribed capital of the member states that it would use if that was needed before it called in any additional capital from the member states. So this is not an issue. It wasn't an issue at the time. It, it's a total red herring. And um, the sun saying that experts reckon that Britain could be on the hook for £160 billion of unpaid loans, it suggests those experts didn't know what they were talking about at the time. So Ian Duncan Smith relying on that Sun article, possibly partly based on the fact of the cited experts, because he mentions that figure that, that is only based on what unnamed experts reckon. He's not thinking critically as he should be before sending that tweet and linking that Sun article. In the Fallacy in the Wild section, we like to talk about the Fallacy of the Week from a non-political perspective. And our first clip this week comes from Kill Bill Volume 2, in which uh, Bud, Michael Madsen's character, is talking to Daryl Hannah. They say the number one killer of old people is retirement. People got a job to do. They tend to live a little bit longer so they can do it. So... They say is a very common thing that people use to back up what they're saying. Often it can be something which is an urban myth or an old wives' tale or something that they've just heard somewhere and they can't remember where, rather than something based in fact. Now, there is some truth, kind of a nugget of truth underneath this one. They say that, that retirement is the kind of number one killer of old people. I don't know about number one, but there have been 
studies that show, which I will link in the show notes to show that I'm not using an appeal to anonymous authority here, which show that uh, people who retire early, in some cases, have a tendency to die younger than people who keep working until their usual retirement age. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean there's a causal relationship at all, because one very plausible possibility is that um, ill health is sometimes a reason for early retirement. Those people who are not fully fit then perhaps have less life expectancy after they retire as well. And there are also, in the same article that I'll link to in the show notes, uh, various studies from um, around the world that show the opposite happening, that actually um, people who retire earlier live longer. So there is, it's, there's no clear-cut evidence on this. And certainly uh, Bud simply saying they say is not sufficient um, to, to back up the argument he's trying to make. An extremely similar example comes from an episode of Friends. I thought it had to do with the size of a guy's feet. No, 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 no. They say it's the same as the distance from the tip of a guy's thumb to the tip of his index finger. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Can I use either thumb? Yeah, so this one, uh, as far as I can find out, there isn't any evidence to back up at all. This is one of those things that just they say, and that's all you can claim about it. And our final example in this section is from The Simpsons, and this is from an episode where Marge has decided to attend a a franchise fair to see if there's a business that she would like to buy. And one of the presentations that she goes to is from a company where uh, the franchise is basically selling you a pair of kind of straightening gloves so that you can straighten people's pictures. Now, folks, I don't want to alarm you, but scientists say 40% of America's pictures are hanging crooked. No. Yeah, scientists say, without actually citing those scientists or giving any opportunity for people to find out what that study said or who those scientists were, if those scientists even work in the field that they're studying, uh, again, is a common method of uh, using this fallacy. So before we move on to fake news this week, I just want to tell you about a few of the other places that you can hear Mark or me in the next coming weeks. Um, First of all, there's a new episode of Fallacious Trump Plays No More Jockeys on our YouTube channel at fallaciousTrump.com slash YouTube, which is Mark, me and a friend of Mark's uh, playing a a silly fun game that has nothing to do with logical fallacies. But if you'd like to see us on, on video and have a bit of a laugh, that's on our YouTube channel. Mark and I have also been talking about the film Wonder Woman 84. For our patrons, we are going just ridiculously in depth into how bad that film is um the the first episode is up already it's a bit of an epic one and there will be more to follow because there's just such a lot to hate about the film it's such a terrible film so if you're a patron go and check that out if you're not a patron but that sounds like the kind of thing you'd be into then you can go to patreon.com slash f trump and also i will be doing a skeptics in the pub online talk on the 25th of march It's not about logical fallacies or scepticism. It's about my time as an examiner at the British Board of Film Classification. Uh, It's about film censorship in general and what goes on behind the scenes at the BBFC. 
It's a completely free talk. It's online. It's on Thursday, the 25th of March at 7pm GMT. So if you would like to see that, find out more about it, you can go to twitch.tv slash SITP for Skeptics in the Pub. Um, or you can find out more information at Skeptics in the Pub online, which is SITP dot online. So we're going we're gonna to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Yes, it's time for Fake News, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up. And this week, Frank has to figure out which one is fake news. Welcome back, Frank. Hello. Thanks for having me. I, I feel more pressure than I ever have before, um, considering I won <laughs> last time. Um, yeah, coming off a win. Yeah, so. let's see if we can keep it up. The theme this week is is actually twofold in a way, because these are all clips from Trump's CPAC speech last week. Mm. And also... They are all ones where he commits the fallacy that I'm talking about this week, which is the appeal to anonymous authority, which is where you just kind of you you say that someone says something, but yeah. don't say who says it and assume that people will just not care. Brilliant. So how perfect to have found three from one event. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, statement number one, Biden has put us back into the very expensive and very unfair Paris climate accord that I brilliantly walked away from. Everyone says it's a bad accord. He didn't even negotiate. He just gave them everything they wanted. It's disgusting, frankly. Mm, okay. Statement number two. I handed the new administration what everyone is now calling a modern-day medical miracle. Some say it's the greatest thing to happen in hundreds of years. Two vaccines produced in record time with numerous others on the way. Did he really do both of those? <laughs> That's another mm, question, Well, we'll it? talk about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, statement number three. Many people have asked, what is Trumpism? A new term being used more and more. I'm hearing that term more and more. I didn't come up with it, but what it means is great deals, great trade deals, great ones, not deals where we give away everything, our jobs, our money. Interesting. What it means is great deals, great trade deals. Okay. I don't know that he was famed for his trade deals, um, rather that he <laughs> was infamed for walking away from very important ones. Um and other deals such like right then see these ones mm, these are very subtle and i there's nothing that jumps out at me that could be you know the classic trump hyperbole um which is interesting i suppose maybe you know he's trying to find his rhythm again after you know he was kicked out biden has put us okay the first one is an obvious, you know, he's going for Biden. He's he's chucked in the Paris climate thingy there. I feel quite ashamed, actually, because as part of my job, I've been learning a lot about global environmental governance, um, and I should really know this, um, but I don't. Um, don't tell my boss. And <laughs> I handed the new administration. Right. I'm going to say number two is real because it just sounds preposterous. Um, but then you know that could be your game right I'm just going to go with it <laughs> I think two is right and I think I like the look of three because often when he introduces something it sounds like he's going to go for a triple so for instance when he says we give away everything our jobs our money you expect him you know to just add one more and he never seems to do that so I'm going to say that three is also real and number one is the fake one Okay, so out of two and three, which do you think is the more convincing? I immediately regret my decision. I think three is the most convincing, but now I'm thinking one is real. T you know what? Let's just do it. <laughs> just do it. 
Okay. So number three is real. Yes. Many people have asked, what is Trumpism? A new term being used more and more. I'm hearing that term more and more. I didn't come up with it. But what it means is great deals, great trade deals, great ones. Not deals where we give away everything, our jobs, our money. Lovely. So he did say that. <laughs> oh, okay. That is <laughs> um, a good one. Yeah, he, he then specifically went on to talk about the USMCA uh, thing that he replaced NAFTA with, which was almost identical yes. to NAFTA. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, that. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and yet NAFTA was somehow the worst deal ever and USMCA was the best. Bizarre, so. bizarre. So you also think number two is real? Yeah, but now I'm thinking number one because he would use the word accord, I think, because he just likes to use odd synonyms. Yeah, I'll stick to it. Number two, I think is real. Okay. I, I hate it. Okay, go on. <laughs> and number two is real. Yay! I handed the new administration what everyone is now calling a modern-day medical miracle. Some say it's the greatest thing to happen in hundreds of years, hundreds of years. Two vaccines produced in record time. Others on the way. Hundreds of yep. years. We'll, we'll ignore the polio vaccine and the invention of widespread antibiotics. We'll ignore that. I did it. He's not even specifically talking about medical stuff. He says it's the greatest thing to happen in hundreds of years. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, my goodness me. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, and, of course, it, sh it has to be said that, that um, he goes on again uh, in this to, to talk about how, you know, only he could have made it happen. Mm -hmm. And it, under any other president, it would have taken five years and things like that. And the Pfizer vaccine took no money or help from Operation Warp Speed and was the first vaccine to be produced. Oh, wow. Isn't that so, perfect? Um, <laughs> Brilliant. The Trump administration agreed to buy some yeah. doses of the, the Pfizer vaccine if it worked, but that's all. They didn't get any help with development or anything like that. It, the, the vaccines came, yeah, they did come significantly quicker than any vaccine for something like mm. this has ever been created before. But but it's because this is a global pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is the international effort of, every, you know, Lots so many of scientists. Countries stopped working on what they were working on and started working on this absolutely absolutely so, yeah that has a tendency to speed stuff up God, um, and yes yeah, so you're right the the statement number one was was fake news Ooh. i made that up it was so. a good one it was a good one um did, did he say anything similar did you work on a similar thing? he um yeah i mean he did complain that biden's gone back into into the paris climate accord mm. um because you know, obviously he would. <laughs> yes, duh. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm a bit ashamed actually that I, that I called him Biden in that quote instead of Sleepy Joe. I think maybe that would have tipped over oh, the edge. I don't know. Maybe. But, but then yeah. I don't know. Maybe that might have been too obvious. <laughs> too many Trumpisms. Well, I don't want you to feel put out at all. I'm sure this is also a fluke. That was a brilliant one. Well, wow. congratulations. Well done. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'll... Um, be keeping an eye out then if we're, if we're back to recent ones maybe i'll brush up my knowledge as well um, yeah he's, he's getting out there a bit yeah. more now i think so we'll see wow all, all right, right then fantastic thanks frank thanks for having me <laughs> yes it's time for the part of the show that this week at least is called a literal golden statue of trump is not a logical fallacy because uh, it was CPAC. It was CPAC last week. It was it was a huge annual nationally televised conference in which conservatives got together to talk about how they're being silenced. 
And basically, there wasn't any conservative policy talk, Republican um, talking about what, you know, what their policies should be moving forward, what their platforms should be at all. Every speech, it seems, was about how unfair the left are being to them and and about how, um, you know, Trump is still in charge of the, the GOP. It was it was fucking bizarre in many ways. I mean, it's always a fairly fucking bizarre conference. And uh, and this year, I mean, <laughs> it started by people wheeling in literally a golden statue of trump wearing stars and stripes shorts and and uh, and flip-flops there are pictures online of evangelical christians praying to the golden idol unironically i don't understand how they can be doing it and not even think about the fact that you know, there's a commandment about this. It's weird. It's super weird. And that was the start. That was like one of the first images that came out from CPAC this year. Um, a lot of things have been mentioned in the press about it. And I mean, <sighs> the stage, the st- just the design of the stage was um, basically a Nazi rune. It's it seems from things that have come out that that probably was not intentional <laughs> by the company that designed the stage set. Um, the The company put together a few different uh, types of stage and and gave the designs to the to the organisers of the show to choose one, and that was the one they chose. So it doesn't look good, but I mean, it was not. It wasn't subtle or kind of similar. It was literally a Nazi rune. So even if that did happen accidentally, that's 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 unfortunate at best. Yeah, that's that's I think the kindest we can possibly be about it. And they then started off with um with a woman singing the national anthem. Which is fair enough, it's reasonable. But she sang it in the key of off. It was well, at least some of it was, because the key changed quite frequently, often in the middle of lines. It was fucking awful. It was an a cappella version, which is a brave thing to do in the first place. But she was she was no Lady Gaga. Let's put it like that. It was it was painful to listen to it, and um, and it set the tone for what was to come, because. Because some of the people who appeared at CPAC this year, including Donald Trump's uh, first kind of major public appearance post losing the election, since Biden's inauguration, he hasn't kind of come out of his bunker, let's say. But he did for CPAC and he just recycled the same old hits, really. Just the the same old lies uh, that he's been saying for ages. Talked about how uh, actually he won and all of that kind of stuff. But before he showed up, various other people spoke, including Don Jr., Don Jr.'s girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle, who it turns out can only shout. Uh, you know, it wasn't clear from when she spoke at, at the uh, RNC, but it, but yeah, that's 
that's just how she talks. It must be fucking annoying. I mean, it's definitely fucking annoying being anywhere near her, I'm sure. But it must be like if you if you live with her or if you're in if you can just imagine the the possibility of of trying to be in the same place as her. She can only shout. It's it's quite bizarre. There was Ted Cruz. He spoke. He he had a a, a bit of a break from uh intensely looking after the people of Texas during their uh, crisis and uh, and headed off to Florida. He mostly shouted freedom like a somehow even worse Mel Gibson. The people who were attending had been told to wear masks inside by the by the conference organizers cuz you know that's the rules. And and of course they booed and several of them shouted freedom as well. And uh, Christy Noem, the governor of South Dakota, she appeared on the stage. She she talked about how great it was that South Dakota had not locked down and hadn't had any kind of mask mandate and hadn't really basically done anything. She didn't mention that South Dakota is the eighth highest state for per capita deaths from COVID, despite the fact that it's the 46th highest in terms of population density. Yeah, she seemed proud about that. The The main thing, though, is that the theme of this year's conference was was cancel culture. And yes, it was coming on the heels of of the Muppets and Mr. Potato Head and things like that, but it was themed as America Uncancelled, which makes it all the more hilarious that a couple of days before the conference happened, they cancelled one of their speakers, a, a rapper called Young Pharaoh, um, because basically he was too too openly anti-Semitic on Twitter, and so the so the America uncancelled CPAC decided cancellation kind of sometimes works. I guess it was everything that you have come to expect from CPAC um, over the last few years, somehow magnified through the lens of insane Trumpism. And if there was just some way of getting them all in there and then just locking the doors and just just kind of cordoning that building off and just leaving it to them, leaving kind of a Lord of the Flies thing might happen probably, just turn the cameras off, it would be a wonderful thing. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. Right-wing voices lost their fucking shit a couple of weeks ago at the news that Mr Potato Head was being cancelled by the left. As a lifelong Mr Potato Head fan, I was surprised that we cancelled him until I checked and found out that, yeah, we didn't. AP reported that Hasbro, the makers of the carb-based plaything, announced that they were renaming the overall toy brand as simply Potato Head. The article was apparently enough to push right-wing author Mark Dice over the edge as he tweeted, It's time for Republican states to secede. I say the article, but really it's the headline that caused him to tweet that, since if he'd read the article, he would know that it's only the overall brand that's changing. But Mr and Mrs Potato Head aren't going anywhere. Of course, Ben Shapiro, Matt Gates, and just about everyone on Fox News failed to read the article as well, preferring instead to yell about this being the end of freedom in America an actual direct quote from Glenn Beck, and stopping just short of demanding that Hasbro include actual stick-on dicks and vaginas in the next box they buy so that they can be absolutely clear which spud is which. There was a rare moment of hope this week that maybe Republicans can actually show empathy. 
A single Republican congressman, Lance Gooden of Texas, broke away from the rest of his party and voted in favor of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, a bill which would ban chokeholds and no-knock warrants, establish a national database of police misconduct, and make it easier for citizens to file civil claims against officers. Was Gooden actually moved by the death of so many people of color at the hands of police officers and the desperate pleas for change? No, he just hit the wrong button because he's totally incompetent. Desperate to avoid the possibility that anyone might think he's a good person, he took swift action and filed a form to change his vote in the official record before posting the evidence on Twitter. Don't worry, Lance, we never doubted that you're an arsehole. Fox News fucking lost their shit for almost two days last week because beloved children's author Dr Seuss was being cancelled by the left. As a lifelong Dr Seuss fan, I was surprised that we'd cancelled him until I checked and found out that, yeah, we didn't. Dr Seuss Enterprises, the private company that looks after Seuss's legacy, decided that they would no longer publish new copies of six of the author's less well-known works, including If I Ran the Zoo and McGilligat's Pool, because they, quote, portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong. A decision Glenn Beck called fascism. Tucker Carlson claimed would have consequences that extend for generations, and my 12-year-old daughter described as completely reasonable. In what may be a record-breaking amount of straw manning, Fox talked about this story over 150 times in two days and only showed the offensive images once, preferring instead to talk about the Sneetches, the Cat in the Hat and all the other books that are not being withdrawn. Here's what I don't get. Aren't Republicans supposed to be in favour of the free market, with private companies entitled to do whatever they want and then be rewarded or punished by the invisible hand of the economy? Well, in response to the outcry, conservatives have punished Dr Seuss Enterprises by buying Dr Seuss books in record numbers, rocketing them to the top of the bestseller charts. Not the books that are being withdrawn, of course, just the ones people actually read, like Oh, the Places You'll Go. Checkmate, libtards. Republican Senator Josh Hawley was a central figure of the January 6th insurrection, leading the charge of objections to certifying Biden's election win and pictured raising a fist in direct support of the rioters outside the Capitol. He also serves on the Senate Judiciary Committee, so he got to ask questions during the committee's hearing on the insurrection. He was especially keen to question FBI Director Christopher Wray about exactly what cell phone data they were collecting from the riot, nervously asking about the location metadata and call records, and what authority the FBI has to gather and retain this information, saying, how are we going to know what you're doing with it, and how do we evaluate the Bureau's conduct if we don't know what authorities you're invoking, what precisely you're doing, or what you're retaining? I know it sounds crazy, but it's almost like Hawley is worried about something. The Supreme Court has been hearing oral arguments about Arizona voting laws and whether they violate the Voting Rights Act. And the newest justice, Amy Coney Barrett, asked the lawyer defending the GOP-backed laws, what's the interest of the Arizona RNC here in keeping, say, the out-of-precinct ballot disqualification rules on the books? The lawyer, Michael Carvin, then did something we've been waiting years for a Republican lawyer to do. He told the truth because it puts us at a competitive disadvantage relative to the Democrats. I mean, this isn't a revelation. We all know that the GOP tries to restrict voting as much as it can because if more people vote, they can't win. But it's refreshing, I guess, to hear them admit it in open court. Trump confirmed at CPAC that he wouldn't be starting his own political party because that would split the Republican vote, and he wouldn't want to do anything that would hurt the GOP's chances of getting voted in. 
Bit weird then that his lawyer sent cease and desist letters to three of the largest GOP fundraising organizations, demanding that they stop using his name and picture in their emails and merchandise. This may be the first time we've ever heard of Trump wanting his name taken off something. But don't worry, he's not growing as a person and shedding his narcissistic need for self-aggrandizement or accepting that it's time for the GOP to find a new leader to stand behind. Nope. It's because some of the funds raised by those organizations support the political careers of the 10 Republican members of Congress who voted to impeach him and the seven Republican senators who voted to convict. Hey, if not using his name when emailing his rabid followers makes it harder for the GOP to raise money, we're here for it. The Senate has finally passed the Democrats' $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill, which includes funding for stimulus checks, vaccine distribution, an expansion of child tax credits, increased unemployment benefits, money for schools, state and local governments, and $34 billion to expand Obamacare subsidies. It wasn't an easy process, and Wisconsin GOP senator and disingenuous asshole Ron Johnson tried to make it harder by having the 628-page bill read out loud before the debate. Ten hours and 44 minutes later at around 2am, Johnson was the only Republican left in the Senate chamber, and he left as soon as the Senate clerks finished story time, presumably to avoid being mobbed by said Senate clerks. Once he'd gone, the Democratic senator for Maryland, Chris Van Hollen, motioned to reduce the debate time for the bill from 20 hours to three. With no Republicans left to vote against it, the motion passed, and Ron's pissy time-wasting stunt ended up shortening the whole process by about six hours. Yay, Ron! In UK politics, the morality gap widens as Boris and the current Mrs Boris think about starting a charity fundraiser to redecorate their flat in Downing Street, because they've spaffed all the nation's money up the wall by giving it to their friends and asking nothing accountable in return. Which, of course, means they simply have to deny anything more than a 1% raise for the public sector, which includes the health workers we've all been staying indoors protecting. Protecting for what? So they can earn an extra £6 a week, which won't even cover the cost of the fee for parking at the hospital they work at. As the schools go back, Gavin Williamson, the education secretary, is thinking about lengthening their school day and shortening holidays so the kids can catch up on their learning. I don't know whether he's referring to his cabinet colleagues who, despite having allegedly been hard at work for an entire year, have learned nothing, but I suspect he is. Three out of ten must try harder. Meanwhile, we all feel for Elon and his exploding rockets, mainly because he's our only hope of getting off this island. Batteries, Elon, use batteries! So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this week. I'd like to thank my guest presenter, Frank. You can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show at patreon.com forward slash ftrump. Just like our newest patrons, SKC and Stephen Bickle, our strawman level patrons, Kaz Tuhi, Mark Reiki, and Amber R. Buchanan. Thank you so much, everyone. We really appreciate your support. You can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fallacious Trump. All music is by The Outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.